0: So, I'm going to start a series today uh, called Joy Philippians, the way to joy. And uh, we're going to be in this for, oh, we're going to be in this probably until Christmas, maybe in New Year's, and uh, going through the book of joy. So, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Today, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of our Lord, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I trust, Lord God, that as we gather together, Lord, each Lord's Day, And Lord God, open up our hearts and our minds, Lord God, to your word in the book of Philippians, that Lord God, you will do a work in us of joy, that we would truly experience the Lord of joy, that we would understand, Lord God, this this great principle and concept of joy. Lord God, that it would have a powerful effect, Lord God, in transforming our attitudes and emotions. I pray this, Lord God, as the pastor of living word over this church, Lord God, and I ask this blessing upon all, Lord God, today and, Lord God, for the upcoming weeks and months. For in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray this, amen. You can be seated. You know, we, 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 live, we live in a world that can be extremely sad at times. I think we all realize that. You know, it's a world that is under the dominion of Satan, the enemy, and uh, there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of depression, unfulfillment, uh, discouragement, sadness that comes from desires that never come to pass, and some people live with that sadness and that despair with no hope that it will ever change. We see um, suicide right now, just on the rise. And even amongst uh, young children, we hear stories of 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds taking their life. And um, the the age where the most suicides are occurring are the age of 35 to 44, which as I look out is probably the majority of people here in this church. Uh, Seniors, 65 and over, taking their lives. Teenagers taking their lives. People, you know, in this again sadness and despair, you know, turning to drugs and alcohol um, to medicate their pain. And you look at that and you say, joy is missing, right? Joy is missing from people's lives. And you know, you you look at at the way most people live, and again, they are on this emotional roller coaster of ups and downs, right? they're, they're happy, they're unhappy. And to understand a key thing about joy, joy is not happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. And joy transcends happenings. You can, you can have joy in the birthing room, and you can have joy in the cemetery, at the cemetery. You can have joy on a sunny day, you can have joy on a rainy day. You can have joy when you're on the mountain where you can hear the angels singing, and you can have joy when you're down in the valley and you can hear the demons hissing. So the book the book of Philippians, the purpose, and I, and I stress this you know, to you, I say this to you, when you're reading the Bible and you're reading a book, every book in the Bible has a specific theme and a specific purpose, and sometimes there'll be multiple themes and purposes, but The epistles specifically, the epistles that Paul and John and Peter and Jude and James wrote, have a a specific purpose. The purpose of Paul writing the book of Philippians was that they would enter into the joy of the Lord. And he gives them, he gives us, the key or the keys to joy. The word joy is used 16 times. The word rejoice is used four times. That's in four chapters. That's in 104 verses. Joy is the theme. Now, the man who wrote "Okay, Philippians is is Paul, right? Formerly Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul. He writes these inspiring words. Where was he when he wrote? Because you would think, right, this book on joy you would think that he was probably sitting on a beach at the Mediterranean Sea drinking a pina colada, right? Or maybe you think that when Paul wrote this book on joy, it was Christmas morning, because everyone's happy on Christmas morning. Or maybe he won the lottery. Or he's at the Super Bowl, or I'm not a big professional sports fan anymore, bore the NCAA National Championship game on Monday night. Where was he when he wrote the book? (laughs) He was in prison. He was imprisoned in Rome, and he had a Roman soldier who was with him 24-7. I mean, that is the last place that I would think that a person would write a book about joy while they're in prison. So what he does in the Book of Philippians, he really shows us the catalyst, okay, the cause, of joy. And he gives us this this picture, this key picture of joy. It's the joy of the Lord. By the way, you have again rejoice and joy mentioned twenty times. Jesus' name is mentioned fifty times. It gives us that there is a direct correlation and connection with the joy of a person and their connection with Jesus. So Paul here, what he does, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives to us, again, these causes, these principles, of how we can enter into this joy that he had. So let's look. We're going to start again today. We're going to go through this over the course of these next weeks, next months, and today we're going to look at a a number of, again, catalysts or causes of joy. The first is the joy of being a bondservant of Jesus. The joy of being a bondservant of Jesus. So in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus. The Greek word, doulos. Hebrew word, ebed. And what... That essentially means a bond servant is a person who is bound in service with no wages. They don't get paid, right? There's no bonuses. There's no paycheck at the end of the week. They essentially serve in bondage. You can call them an indentured service, a servant. And essentially, for the most part, these servants they were in service because they were paying off a debt. And according to the Jewish law, the law of Moses, it was usually a seven-year commitment okay, that they were being brought into of service before they could be set free. So here is this, here is this, this man who is, again, this bondservant, this doulos. And what happens, according to Exodus 21, at the end of the seven years, he is set free. But he has been blessed by his master. His his master has blessed him with a home, a house, with agriculture, with livestock. He's blessed him with a wife and with children. He's got a life. He's got a home. He's got a family. And it has all come to him through the hand of the master. The master says you're free. You're free. You can You can... Go where you want. You can do what you want to do. And what the bondservant does is he looks at the master and says, You have been so good to me. You have have given me so much. You have blessed me so greatly. I came here with nothing. And now I have abundance. I have prosperity. I I have tremendous blessing. Therefore, I don't want to go. I want to serve you the rest of my life. And when you come to Exodus chapter 21, verses five through six, watch what the word says here. It says, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He goes, he goes essentially to the city gate where the judges are. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an owl. Then he will be his servant for life. That is a bond servant. That is doulos. Hebrew again, ebed. It's 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 voluntary, right? His service was involuntary. Now it's voluntary. He's saying he's making a choice. He's making a decision. He is not being coerced. He is not being manipulated. This decision is not being forced. You have loved me with such an incredible love that now I want to be your servant for the rest of my life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon Frequently translated money. mammons essentially speaks of the material world. You can't serve God and serve money. You can't serve God and serve yourself. You can't serve God and serve your career. You can't serve God and be living for your comfort. You can't serve God and be serving your selfish desires. You can't. If you, if you think you can do that, you are greatly deceived and you are heading for some major disaster. You can't. In in Romans chapter 6, 16, this is in the New Living Translation, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You're either, again, a, a doulos, a servant of God, or you are a servant of something else. Jesus has freed us from sin and Satan to be a servant of him. Realize this about about Satan's deception. When you're serving Satan, and you may think you're serving yourself, but when you're serving Satan, right, you have this experience of these highs, sometimes literally, but as you're serving satan he's slowly destroying your life slowly destroying your health or your marriage or your children or your soul and it's very very deceptive because you 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 are experiencing what you think are highs and it's actually leading to the ultimate low in first corinthians chapter 6:12 Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Just look at that. I will not be mastered by anything. Either we, we are mastered by the Lord, the master, or you're being mastered by something else. Immediately, right, we, we may think of drugs, drugs, you know, people who are under the influence of alcohol or drugs and it's controlling their life. But You could be mastered, could be mastered by a, an emotion. You could be mastered by vengeance or anger or fear. You could be mastered by prejudice. You could be mastered by your bodily appetites. You could be mastered by food. You could be mastered by entertainment, mastered by comfort. America is a, is a country obsessed with comfort obsessed with it Paul says I will not be mastered by anything except Jesus and you know, I said I said this to you last week we should live to an audience of one in other words our, our goal should be to please God the danger where uh, 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 when a person lives, for the praise of people or essentially they live for the praise of people and they die at the criticism of people. That's a person who basically is a slave to their ego, right? Somebody praises me. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so, somebody gave me a compliment. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. Somebody, right? Criticizes you, right? You're depressed. You're, you're a slave to your ego. We are to live our lives to an audience of one. And we are to live mastered by one. That is what a bond servant is. Mastered by the Lord. Not by drugs, not by alcohol, not by money, not by their career, not by their business, not by their ministry. By their ministry! Or their body, or their comfort. Mastered by one. And, and essentially being a doulos, it flows, Right? From the love of the Lord. It's 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 his love that compels them. Look here's a I tell you a signature verse, Matthew six thirty-three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Here's another signature verse of mine, Second Corinthians chapter five, fourteen and fifteen. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge us that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for Him. That is doulos. Again, it's not, it's not forced. It's not something that is manipulated. It's not coerced. The love of Christ brings me to the place where I no longer live for myself but for Him who died for them and rose again. Doulos. The bondservant, he or she, Uh, is the one who has come to that place of deep conviction and belief that Jesus gave them his all, his very life, that he died in their place. And now the service that they lay down, the doulos that they lay down, is a labor of love. And it's a labor of love that brings joy, 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 joy. And we say this, you look at the most miserable people in the world. They are self-serving, selfish, self-gratifying. All they do is they, they just live for themselves. And you look at people, really happy people, look at people who serve others, who empower others, who give to others, who equip to others, who love others. That's the message of the Dulos. Okay, number two. The joy of being a saint. In verse 1 again to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. If you've come from the Roman Catholic Church, this may shock you because in the Roman Catholic tradition, you need to be dead to be a saint. I don't know if you realize that. You need to die, and then the uh, school of bishops need to essentially what they call is beautify you. They examine your life, you have to have certain things, certain experiences, and then they say you're a saint. That's not biblical. The word here for saint, hagios, holy ones, those who are sanctified, set apart to God. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you is a saint. Do this. If you know the believer who's next to you, if you don't know who the person is, you can't do this. But if you know the believer who's next to you, just point at them right now and say, you are a saint. Go ahead, do it. Try it. You are a saint. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, you are a saint. Look at the person behind you and say, you are a saint. Look at the person in front of you and say, you, are, you is a saint. That took, that took me a little while to get to because I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church, though I, I left when I was a kid. You know what is amazing? He says to all the saints in Christ, right? In Philippi. Do you know that even the Corinthians? I'm going through Corinthians. I tell you, I just went through Second Samuel and dealing with David's sin and the effect that it brought upon his family. I said this: it's hard, it's gut wrenching. It's like hard to go through that. And then I'm going through now First and Second Corinthians. It's close to being that heart wrenching. But the Corinthians, all their divisions. Their carnality, their gossip, their charismaniacs, uh, they're attacking Paul. They're filled with pride. They're they're selfish. Uh, they turn the Lord's supper into a drunken feast. Their theology is warped. Even there, what look he called them saints, right? First Corinthians one two, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Even the Corinthians. He says to them, you you have been called to be set apart in Christ. Now understand, that's positional. There's a difference between positional and actually experiential. So they are positionally saints in Christ. But the old man, you know the old man? The old man. Right, the sarks, the flesh, the sinful natures. It's translated old man. You know the old man, right? Am I the only one in the church who knows the old man? The old man, right? He is evil. There's a part of us that is evil. And like the southern preacher said E V I L. The old man is evil, E-V-I-L, and if you remove the E, you got vile, and the old man is vile, right? He is as vile as, he is V-I-L, he is vile, and if you remove the V, what do you have? Ill, Ill, because he's ill, he is ill, he is is so sinful, he is ill, and if you remove the I, what do you have? Hell, and that's where it will take you, he'll take you right to hell. That's a southern preacher. <laughs> Sometimes, as saints, we might not be so saintly, right? Honey, you ever notice that And Pastor Frank? Never. To my wife went... Sometimes we forget who we are. You know when when you see the Lord calling us saints, ambassadors, right? Children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, priests, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are even called kings in Revelation chapter one six. That's that is God. When you're when you're reading the Word and you see that, God is trying to impress upon you your new identity in Christ. He's trying. He's trying to. to to get you to realize who you are. right? Our, our identity in Christ. You know, know, believe, reckon, accept that you are saints who have been set apart. I think a lot of times, people in the church, again, they forget who they are. They have really kind of lost them. You know, we, we, I'll be a little tough here. We call them mugbots they got their mug in the church and their butt in the world and again they're they're really not coming to a place of grasping onto that identity in Christ you will always act behave think even feel in accordance with your identity with your self concept Okay, that's modern-day psychology catching up to what was written thousands of years ago. For the most part, we always act and behave, talk, and think in accordance with that identity. The more you become identified as being a saint, the more of a holy life you will live. The less identification, the less. It's a great story. Alexander the Great, the the great uh, Greek military leader, Amazing, amazing general. And um, what he would do is, when his men were camped, he would go on the outskirts of the camp, and he would look to see if all of his soldiers that were guarding the camp, while the other soldiers were sleeping, he would look to see if they were awake and they were on guard duty. And one day he comes upon this young man, and the man is sleeping. Uh, Young boy, you know, teenage, teenage warrior, he goes up to him and he attacks him. And he begins, he begins to punch him and smack him and shake him. And uh, the boy is just totally you know, caught off guard. He's asleep and he's shaking him. And he says to him, what's your name, boy? And uh, the boy says, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great said to him, you either need to change your name or change your behavior. Take that one to, to heart. We need to be working. He, he, he needs... To grasp on to his identity. So again, when he calls us saints, right, he is saying to us, identify with that. You know, integrate that into your self concept, into your self image, into your self esteem. That we we need not to only be saints positionally, but in practice. None of, none of us will ever practice that perfectly until we go to be with him. But we need to be practicing it. All right, number three. The joy of God's grace. So in Philippians chapter 1, the look at verse 2, he says, grace to you. Grace to you. What a great way to greet somebody. He's greeting them. He's saying, grace to you. Grace to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, you know, grace, to understand it, it is is a part of the essential nature of God. Grace is is an outflow of the love of God. To understand, grace is everything that God has given us that we have not deserved. And mercy is everything God has not given us that we did deserve. Understand the difference between grace and mercy. Sometimes we confuse the two. But grace is an essential part of the very nature of God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh. Jesus, incarnate, became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It, it, it is, again, of, of the specific essence and nature of God. Everything, by the way, everything... That really flows from God, flows from His love. I heard somebody say, "God let me down." Well, I've had that said to me many times. Like God, God has let me down. I didn't get the promotion. You know, God let me down. I, 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 I you know, haven't been able to find that that, that boyfriend or, or, or girlfriend. Uh, God, God has let me down. I lost my job. I just want to. I want to say this to you. If God let you down, if God let me down, you know where we would be? We would be in hellfire. It is, it is only by the grace of God, let me say this, that the human race is here. And that, and that we, are, we, we are all here. So God doesn't let us down. God pours out his grace upon us. I'm gonna give you a, I'll am gonna give you a picture. I'm going to give you a couple pictures here of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's me. I was dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of the world. That's me. I don't know, is that you? Is anybody else in here? Is that of your experience? According to the, the prince and power of the air, that, that's me. He had control of my life. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I was a son of disobedience among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. That's me. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And one by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. That's where I was. That's me before. Now, watch in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to go start with verse 4 here. But, say that with me, but. Thank God for buts. Really, thank God for buts. Because that's a but of grace. But. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The unmerited favor of God. That's the theological term that you'll get from theologians. Essentially it is God's free gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't do religious gymnastics to get it. We are unworthy. We are undeserving. And God has given us His gift of grace, and that is why it is called Amazing Grace. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of His grace, His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is grace. Jesus tells us the story of the prodigal son. Incredible, right story. Most of us, that story has been literally hammered into our brains. How God, right? He is a typology of the Father. The son is a typology of us. The son takes the father's inheritance, squanders it on wild living. The kid is broke. The kid is unworthy. The kid is sinful. But the kid says, I'm going to come back and ask dad for his forgiveness. I'll become his slave. And when he comes back, the father runs to him, takes him in his arms, kisses him on the neck. What does he do? He, the son begins to go through the confession. The son, Father, don't even let him finish it. Don't even let him get halfway through it. And, and he says, he says no more, don't worry, you're forgiven. Here, put a new robe on his back. Put the, the ring of peace on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. And go kill the big, fattest calf we have. We're going to have a party. For my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to show you. Philip Yancey. He wrote a great book called What's? so amazing about grace. I encourage you all to read it. And he wrote a beautiful story in there about a young girl, the prodigal daughter story. I'm going to show you this for the next five minutes. And uh, can we get the uh, volume up, Justin? This is the prodigal daughter. It'll touch your heart. You're not being you anymore. What, what I am? What do you want from me? You are- about my clothes if I'm and you trying to be so Get the weird. volume of my room. body
1: okay if I want to dye my hair or put a ring to my nose that's my voice you're not a child understand who you are you're not listening to me my child I love you let's start with that we haven't spoken so, boring. I miss you. I know you felt you had to make your own life. do you things your own way. I'm sure at times you loved it. I felt certain you'd made the right choice. Other times, the darkness crept in. That led to desperation And mistakes And misplaced trust hey! Some of the pain was your own doing Some of the pain um, Was caused by others it's okay. Who took advantage of you What is that? And if know. you find yourself you rejected Let's go. or you lost, Let's go. know there is something better. Stop. Let go of me. Just... When you Stop feel me. alone, listen for my voice. Come by fire Or shout too loud, or be gone so long that you can't find your way home. Just tell me, are we seeing you? Oh.
0: Amazing about it. All right, last point today the joy of God's peace. So, in verse 2, again, of Philippians chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is something everyone wants. I think it's the longing of the heart. When I, I do the membership class, or sometimes we do it with baptism. We ask people, what was your life like before? What is your life like now? And what is your life like, uh, in the, expect your life to be like in the future? And what people will say, you know, my life before was, I'd longed for peace. That's the most common thing. I was looking and searching for peace. So it's something that the human heart longs for, and yet so few people find it. They seek it in, in religion, in meditation, mindfulness, in the bottle, in a pill, in a needle. Some people just withdraw into a fantasy world. But what is, what is peace? And you know, you'll know, you get a lot of different ideas and definitions of people. Tranquility, serenity, harmony. The Hebrew word is so powerful. Shalom. The, the, the shalom of God. That's found 429 times in the Bible. 429 times. Let me say the word of peace in the King James Version. And um, it's peace with God. It speaks about well-being. Not just, again, peace in the vertical uh, relationship, but in the horizontal and internally in the person. So Jesus Jesus said to us in, in John chapter 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? In the world, you will have tribulation. We live in a world of problems. We live in a, a world of trouble. Right? Uh, Travis Tritt. Travis Tritt. You know his song? Trouble. You know that song? Trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. That's all I've ever under- You know that song? Trouble. How many remember that? I anybody only want to remember that song? It's been dogging my soul since the day I was born. That's what Travis Tritt says. We live in a world of of, of of trouble. We live in a world where there is trials. I want to show you the picture here. Jesus says you can have peace. I want you to, you have to look really closely at this. this the name of this picture is Peace in the Storm, this portrait. And, um, you know, you see lightning, you know, you... You know there's thunder, you have these torrents of rain and wind, and it's, it's a, a storm, a major storm. And if you look real closely, right there, I didn't blow it up, but there's a little bird in her nest. And it's the picture of peace in the midst of this great, great storm. And that's what Jesus offers us. He offers us peace in the midst of the storm. Yet, why are there so many people in the church who don't enter into that peace? He gives us and he lays out that there are some key principles. One, one is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Again, he is the Prince of Peace. Right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counsel, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our shalom. He is the source of our shalom. Get disconnected from Him and suddenly you no longer have shalom in your life. As you are connected with Him, and how do we stay connected with Him? Here's Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep Him in perfect peace. Let me just show you, I want to show you some perfect peace. By the way, the word perfect doesn't appear in the Hebrew. But what you have is, it's, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. That is, that is how the Hebrew reads. When you have two words put by each side, it speaks about, a, it, it raises its level of completeness or of perfection. So he is saying, you will keep him in perfect peace, in shalom, shalom. Now watch, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For Yah, for in Yah, Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. When you focus on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Now, now that is an incredible challenge. We live in a world of you know, immense distractions psychologists tell us 85% of the average person's thinking is aimless or negative. know when I say that, I hear people go, how could that, just stop and, and hey, for the, next, for the next week, look at your thoughts. I even sometimes have people, they'll keep a little thought log, and hour by hour, they'll just kind of log in where their thoughts are. And how many of them will come back and say, how much you know, anxiety, anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts, Right? Negative thoughts. Just us aimless thoughts. And again, the result of that is going to be, you're going to be experiencing internal chaos. By the way, the problem with that too is what's going on on the inside usually flows to the outside. So it's, it's the one whose mind is stayed on Jesus, that is the person who really enters you into the joy of Shalom. And again, as we, we go through, and we'll go through this in upcoming weeks, there is a direct connection there. With with peace and joy, there's the word peace is used many times in here too. So I just want to I'll wrap it up. Right, the joy again of being a bond servant of Jesus, being mastered by Jesus, and nothing else. The joy of being set apart as a saint, having and really grasping onto your identity and knowing your identity in Jesus Christ. The joy of experiencing Jesus' amazing grace. Again, all we are, all we have. And then the joy of living in Jesus' peace in the midst of the storms and of this chaotic world. One verse in closing, Psalm 43.3. There I will go to the altar of God, to God the source of all my joy. There it is right there. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Right? Sixteen times the word joy used in Philippians. Four times the word rejoice used in Philippians. Fifty times the name Jesus used in Philippians. This joy that transcends all understanding, this joy that transcends happiness, it doesn't depend on happenings. It depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ your experience of Jesus Christ, because He is the source. The closer you get to Him, the more of His joy you'll experience in your life. Receive Him. Accept Him. Believe in Him, that He died for you. Turn from your sins and commit your life to Him. Walk with Him. Follow Him. And that joy will manifest more and more. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just thank you, Lord God, for this book. It has been so, Lord God, meaningful to me. And just as I read through your scriptures, Lord God, each day, how many times I have turned to it, Lord God, to find comfort, to find joy, Lord God, in the midst of the earth's trials, Lord God, and the problems, Lord God, that have just been blown into my life. I'm thankful, Lord God, for the faithfulness of Paul in writing this book under the inspiration of the Spirit while in prison, and Lord God, I pray as we again continue, Lord God, to go through this book, that you would enlarge our joy in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray this in his glorious name. Amen. If you would like to come to the altar, you